Today's daughter of change, Eklas Ahmed, is a force to be reckoned with. She's a trailblazer, a shining light, and a beautiful human. Forced to flee the outbreak of civil war in Sudan with her mother, father, and three younger brothers in 2004, Eklas and her family were resettled in Portland, Maine. Since then, Eklas has earned her bachelor's degree in international relations and a master's degree in education from the University of Southern Maine with the hopes of helping resettle other refugees. Aklas is the founder and executive director of Chance to Advance, a nonprofit which is dedicated to uplifting the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers through storytelling in order to break down barriers for a more inclusive, connected, and educated world. Welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. My name is Marie Sola, and I'm a firm believer that women and girls play a major role in creating change for our future. This podcast tells the stories of the women and girls who are creating that change, each in their own unique way. Every day is an opportunity to blaze new trails and set positive change in motion. The possibilities are endless. Let's get started. Well, I am very excited about today's podcast because I met this amazing young woman at the Maine Women's Conference. And the minute I met her, her energy was just like shining out in the room. She is a bright light. She's a beacon. She's a daughter of change. And I'm really, really excited to have all of you get to meet her. So Eklas Ahmed, welcome, welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, I had a feeling the minute I met you, I thought, mm, yeah, there's an interview in our future. So, um, yeah, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes I just know these things. Mm-hmm. And so, Eklas, before we get into all of the amazing and fabulous things you're doing, I want people to get to know you a little bit. So I have a couple of questions that talk about your journey. But this first question, I mm-hmm. ask everybody, and I get some really fun answers. So I have to ask you, what's something that people would be surprised to know about you? Um, <laughs> that's a really good question. I feel like I'm such a open book and people, my friends, my family know so much about me. Um, I think the one of the things that people don't know is that I really actually love the winters here in Maine. I try to like not be explicit about it and like, um, but I always joke around, but I really love winters in Maine. I love the snow. I love how snow smells. I love the color. I love the coziness um, during the winters here in Maine. And maybe that's why I'm still stuck here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's a good thing you like them because if you don't like winter, this is not the place to be, right? <laughs> I, I didn't like it when we first moved here to Maine. It was just like so different from Sudan and different from Egypt where I grew up for a little bit. Um, so in the beginning, it was just like, what is this white stuff doing here? Yeah. <laughs> But you acclimated, obviously. Yes. Uh, yeah. Still adjusting. 
Still adjusting. Yeah. Well, you had a, a lot of adjustments to make, and actually this lends itself really well to my next question for you. So you came here to Maine in, I believe it was 2004, correct? Mm-hmm. And you were, you were still a schoolgirl then. Yeah. And what was that initial experience of assimilating like for you? I mean, you mentioned you came here from Sudan and from Egypt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you yeah. come to Maine, one of the whitest states in the United States, right? Uh, it, maybe it yeah. is the whitest state, in the, maybe not anymore. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, big changes in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So what was that initial experience like for you, Eklas? Yeah, it was, you know, very different. And um, I don't think anyone could ever prepare you for the first time you land in Maine. (laughs) (laughs) I think for us, it was a relief. For me personally, it was a relief. Um, So the reason we left Sudan because of war. um, And then in Egypt, when we were waiting for our asylum case to be approved by the UN, we could never pack. I talk about this a lot now. because it was such a burden for the longest time, being unable to unpack your suitcase, right? Like I was in Egypt with my family and we could never feel like we were at home because we were waiting for the UN to decide when and where we're going to go. So when they first said Portland, Maine, of course, we didn't know anyone. We had no idea how to search. Like, you know, there's not like Google, oh, let me see how pictures look like. Um, is it cold? Is it sunny? All of these things is like happened to us as we arrived here. But I say that because when I first came, it just felt like I'm finally home. I can take my dresses out of my suitcase. I have a room that belongs to me. Um, yes, at that time, I didn't have a community, but there was potential. So to me, it was like a sense of relief, um, even though it was really hard to attend school Um, not knowing English and uh, wearing my hijab and just so many changes that I was terrified of, still am in a way. (laughs) 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 Um, But like my mom said, we are like, we are very big fighters in, in my family. And even those initial first few months in the States, we were just fighting to find ourselves, to find a voice, to find home. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, um, you know, for somebody who you said is still sometimes terrified, you'd never know it. You'd never know it because you're a very, very confident young woman. When I met you, I felt your confidence (laughs) shining through. And uh, I think that was one of the, the things is you're very comfortable with yourself, like you know yourself. And that that just exudes from you when one first meets you. So that was interesting to hear that comment from you. And, you know, not being able to unpack, finally, you know, having that room and that space, but now, you know, being sort of thrown into this Mm -hmm. culture and this situation where everything and everybody is so different. Um, But you mentioned to me, and this really stuck with me, uh, I can't remember at which occasion when we were talking, but you said to me that you come from a place where a lot of girls don't have a voice, right? So Mm -hmm. how did coming to Maine help you find your voice? Or I should say, did it help you find your voice? And if so, how? Yeah, certainly. That's a really good question. I really, yeah, I think that Maine, my journey coming to Maine, my high school experience, uh, my college experience. I, I, you know, I'm a local. I went to um, 
Casco Bay High School, and I went to USM for my undergraduate and graduate school. And I think not just schooling system, but the friendship and the community that I have cultivated here in Maine has really opened my eyes and has helped me. Like you talked about confidence, and I think that took so long. You know, it's not a one-day journey. It has been something that since I first landed in the U.S. I mean, when I was in high school, they gave me the certificate or the award of being um, most improved, (laughs) actually. Uh, Because my freshman year, I was a silent student. I never talked to anyone. I never, uh, even in class, I would know answers, like if the teacher asked a question, but I just didn't know how to say it. I didn't know how to voice it. So I give credit a lot to my high school experience at Casco Bay for allowing us or giving us the space to be ourselves, to ask questions, to have discussions, even with our teachers, which is was very uncommon for me coming from a school system that you're, you know, being lectured all the time. And then, you know, being a community organizer after high school, you know, I, I became a part of so many different organizations, so many different nonprofits. Um, And through all that different work, I kind of gained a voice, found my voice. And I think I'm still finding even a deeper voice within myself. But I really, I think, yeah, I just give credit so much to um, opportunities that that were available to me that allowed me to dig deep and to not be afraid and to know that not many girls actually have this opportunity that I have. Yeah, when I look back at like people in my age group back in Sudan, it's really hard because everything is almost defined for them. Um, You go to this school, at this age you get married, at this age you have a child, and how dare you, you know, not follow those rituals that have been in place for centuries. Um, So to me, I am really happy that I'm breaking a lot of cycles, a lot of cultural norms. I know I know. sometimes it makes my parents unhappy, but to me, that's how I am making my, I'm making my own story and writing my own story through things that are working for me, not what is working for society. Yeah, that that's, uh, you know, I see that a lot uh, with your generation, which I love is breaking down social constructs. You know, that, mm-hmm. and, and I think every generation does that, but I really see that with your generation. And it, it's heartwarming to see that, you know, from somebody mm-hmm. who, who saw a lot of social constructs uh, as a younger woman simply because of the time that I was brought up in, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not easy work, though. No. It's not easy. And sometimes I'm just shattered. And some days I just, you know, close my windows and close the door and just go to sleep because it's just so much. Um, And it's really hard work. But I know that in order for us to improve the next generation, we have to be, you know, be ourselves. And like you were just saying, continue to break those boundaries that haven't benefited, especially women. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Love it. Hope for the future. (laughs) For the next generation. That's right. That's right. Well, that's how it is, right? Every generation (laughs) paves the way for the generation coming, you know, behind them. And I almost look at it like a tree, right? You have these branches Mm. and the leaves and, and each generation sort of adds to that tree and those leaves, but you've Mm. got that trunk of those original wise women that just started it all, right? Uh Uh-huh. It's yeah. really, it's really kind of beautiful to think about. And you also 
Well, actually, you didn't mention this, but it, it actually, this question came to me because as we get a little further into the podcast, we're going to talk about the work you're doing with your nonprofit, which really is about people being able to tell their stories, right? And yeah. when you came to Maine, and, and you touched upon this a little bit, but it did it also help you to find your story? And can you elaborate a little bit on that? Like what you're learning in your story? Because obviously your story is not complete. It's just starting. It's just starting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely. I think um, why, you know, not just because I've becoming to love winter here in Maine, but I really, uh, I wrote a, actually a poem about this, how I fell in love with Maine at the airport. As uh, strangers were giving me like smiles and just felt very comforting. Um, so to me, I feel like Maine has definitely, like I was saying earlier, has really helped me find myself and find my voice and uh, break down so many. Uh, like I, I look at my mom and how, you know, she's in her 40s now, but almost like she's just beginning to write her story now because there's uh, mm-hmm. this freedom of taking up space, right? Like she's allowed to take up space. She's allowed to question things. She's allowed to discover. And it's the same for me. I think that Maine has allowed me because there's so many actually things that were not here when I first came. It's Maine is not the most appealing place for a black Muslim woman. You know, it is mm-hmm. not diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had such separations in different, like organizations were doing Things, but it wasn't for the people. So to me, I think that I, I Maine has helped me find my story by fighting for what I believe in, like you know, finding fighting for Muslim women, fighting for uh, Black women here in Maine, doing marches, doing protests, doing all of the things that I strongly believe in, my core values. I am able to express that here freely, and and I can see that it's changing so many girls' mm-hmm. lives. And therefore, it's helping me create this story that I've been talking about, the story of Akhlas Ahmed, the activist, Akhlas Ahmed, you know, the, the artist who writes poetry, and uh, Akhlas Ahmed, who's the educator, and so many parts of who I am, um, I'm able to express them and to do them, and to see change has happened because of, you know, just living here in Maine and holding on to hope that uh, I have this vision for Maine, a very inclusive state, a very um, welcoming state. And therefore, that hope, I can't just have it to be hope as a word. I have to work toward what that looks like. Um, so I hope to continue to, to do that. Well, that's a beautiful story that you've started. That's, you know, and it's just, I, I know it's just the beginning for you. And I, <laughs> there's going to be a day when you're not going to have time to do podcasts because you're, you know, you're, you're going to be, well, I, I mean, it's probably hard for you to find the time even now because you're doing so much, but I, I just, you know, know that mm-hmm. you are going to be just a force to be reckoned with and continue to make these beautiful changes. And you're also, so you're the founder and the executive director of Chance to Advance. And you're doing some really, really beautiful work with that. And I mentioned the mission a little bit in the yeah. intro, you know, the recorded intro, but I'd love to hear in your words, 
what chance to advance is really about like because because this is your baby you started this right so if we can have like sort of a more personal description of that from you that would be wonderful absolutely yeah i mean i'm really proud that um chance advance exists it's not the work of just me alone there's a a huge tribe (laughs) that has helped um chance advance in the past four to five years. Um, and I, I mean, the beginning of TTA goes back to when I was a, a volunteer slash teacher slash AmeriCorps member. Um, right after I finished college, I didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't know what I wanted to pursue, even though I was just graduating with a sociology and an international degree. Um, I didn't know where to go. Um, and thank God, again, I keep saying, giving credit to people that really like have been mentors for me since I first joined. And I had this amazing teacher, Miss um, Ellison Perkins, who I still talk to, um, was like, well, how about you try AmeriCorps? How about you join the AmeriCorps and uh, maybe do some, you know, teaching English? And I said, I barely know how to speak English myself. How can I be a teacher? <laughs> in English, but she was very uh, persistent. She actually pulled up the AmeriCorps like application and we filled it out together. And I happened to just be so lucky that they accepted my application right away. And um, my service was at my high school. (laughs) It was like coming back home, right? Um, And my first year was really hard because I was, again, I was just freshly out of college. I was teaching um, students who were 16 and 17, like not too, too far away from my age group. <laughs> and it like took me forever to even have their respect as their teacher because they're like, me and you are the same age. What are you talking about? What You want me to call you Miss Ahmed? No, hi, Atlas. Like they just gave me a run for my money. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. But over time, you know, they saw that I, I kept coming, even with my tears in my, my eyes, I was still there. And um, we, we just went through our struggles together. I had students who were from all over the world, from Sudan, from Somalia, from Congo, from Vietnam. Um, and to be teaching English language learners, that, that was my, my title, was uh, AmeriCorps. We did after school a program called Make It Happen. So all of the students that were coming into my classroom were just from all over the world. And... Our country in 2016, is it, <laughs> was going through a lot of changes. And we elected someone that um, was targeting, in a way, all my students, right? Because they come from all different backgrounds. They're Muslim. They're refugees. Mm-hmm. And some of them are women who wear the mm-hmm. hijab. And it's just that all my students felt so targeted that they don't belong here. They don't belong in America. They don't belong in this world. It's just they they felt like they couldn't express who they were. And truly, I think that is where the idea of chance to advance began, is that I felt an application as their teacher to provide safety, to provide a platform where they can tell their stories. I am from Sudan, and I am proud, and I love my culture And yes, I live in America. I love it here, too. And I want to contribute to America in a positive way. Um, And so that was initially the mission 
it was to to just provide a platform for my students to tell their stories in a positive light where they didn't feel like they were targeted. Um, and it just happened to be, a, first we did a video uh, called Celebrating Maine, and the video was amazing, um, and it became very famous all of a sudden in, in Portland Public Schools. So we, we were sharing this video, but then we felt like it wasn't enough, like we wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. You know, a video is good, but how about pictures of us? So that is when the idea of the calendars kind of came about. And we did our first annual celebrating Africa because many of my students were from Africa. And many people thought Africa was a one country and, you know, not, <laughs> not, yeah, not a continent. So we were like, we need to change that. How can we do that? Okay, let's highlight 12 different African countries. And really uh, that first calendar became a community project. We had students from Casco Bay, Portland High, Deering High School, just a community that came together to share positive stories. Um, and then, yeah, we eventually printed few copies of the calendar and it wasn't enough. People wanted more. People wanted to read the stories. People wanted to highlight it in their schools, like actually just walk by and read about Congo or I'm going to walk by and read about Senegal. So it just became so um, appealing to our community that we just never stopped from there. So that is the history of Shantu Advance. That is our mission, is to elevate voices of immigrant refugees and asylum seekers. And we do all of that to break down barriers so that we feel connected more. We feel like, you know someone from Sudan, you know someone from this part of the world. Um, And so we are not longer strangers to each other. You know, there are so many layers to what you're doing. Mm. And it's so important, as you said, to break down barriers, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy for people to otherize someone that they've never met or that is just sort of a thought to them as opposed to a human with a story, you know? And I I love that you recognize that, you know, and that your students recognize that and that you gave them the ability to do that because you have all these things going on. Yes, you are breaking down barriers, but I imagine for many of your students who were probably asylum seekers and refugees coming from situations that were you know, less than ideal, to be able to have somebody say, I want you to tell your story and I'm going to listen to it. I mean, what that does internally for a, another person is so important. Um, I love that. And so could you just tell us just a little bit more about the calendars? Mm-hmm. Can you give us a, like a, a verbal visual of what one of these calendars would look like? Sure, definitely. And again, I, I do so much to involve my whole community in making these calendars so it's not just me alone um of course the first one like i was just saying was focused and targeted about uh showcasing different parts of africa Mm -hmm. and then from there um i think a couple years ago we had this huge issue at our borders where families were getting separated from each other moms were separated from their children children separated from their parents and it just broke us as a country, and uh, we felt it a lot here in, in Maine because we, we do have a, a Latinx community members who 
you know, sometimes are afraid to share their story because they don't know the consequences of that. Um, so our calendar was called Families Belong Together. Um, and it was a theme that, you know, community members said that this is what is important to us. So when you look at that calendar, it features many families together, eating together, photos of them walking. Just we wanted to make it as authentic as possible, similar with this story. So that's uh, just kind of like an overview of the theme. And therefore, mm-hmm. and then we look for community members who can contribute their story to us. And as an English teacher, that's what I do. I try to write this story myself so that it it feels right to me and to the yes. person sharing. Yes. So yeah, so when you open January, you get to, for example, meet the family of Mateo, who uh, is the founder of Coffee Me Up here in Portland, Maine. His family from um, Armenia came here and they are... They're working to better our economy in Maine by opening up a coffee shop. They have children who go to school here. There are just so many positive things to their story. And then also in January, you get to learn more about Armenia and more about holidays that they celebrate. So the calendar is, um, we highlight different holidays that maybe you don't see in a typical U.S. calendar. Um, food that they eat, holidays that they celebrate in Armenia. And throughout the calendar, you get, we have been very deliberate to do that, is that every month has, you know, the Independence Day of this country. And sometimes it's always hard to, like, you know, make it work if it's the same um, month. But we do our best to make sure that you're learning not just the story of this individual and family, but also the whole country. Um, so, yeah, that is what well, from January to December, you get to learn about a new family in Maine. How are they contributing in Maine? Is it just by being here? Is it a store that a business that they have opened? Um, and then last year, I added like a fun fact, like things they recommend. What do you recommend for people so they can know you more or to know your country more? So some people suggested books that we wrote in the calendar. Some people suggested movies. So it's really like it's supposed to be engaging. That is my whole thing. It's not just something you put on a wall and forget about. It's really there is a lot of things that are engaging. And I hope that I can do many of this work with with high school students, with middle school students. How do we get engaged? How do we know who lives in our community? And I think the calendars have amazing potentials to be an amazing tool for so many people and places. It's really, I love that you ask members of the community for ideas for the themes. And I love how comprehensive it is because this is something that a parent can share with their child as well. You know, mm-hmm. somebody from outside of the new Mainer community that is trying to learn about our new neighbors, right? Really so well thought out. And how do the calendars help to support your efforts? Yeah, the calendars support our effort in many ways. Uh, I think the first thing, like I was saying, the whole major part is that we are providing platforms, right, for refugees, immigrants, mm-hmm. asylum seekers to find healing by sharing their stories. Like that's one of the ways that they're, the calendars is contributing in, in that way. And then two, we use the calendars proceeds, so we try to sell as many calendars as possible through our CTA website, through our partners at Omar's uh, main, main office of refugee services, and 
when we sell the calendars, all the proceeds go to scholarship funding for refugee, currently high school students who are about to go into college. Um, so our whole goal is to keep um, students here in Maine, to go to school here and potentially maybe even find work here. Um, so that's why we focus on um, giving scholarship funding to them. Yeah, that's that. It's, the whole thing is so well thought out and makes so much sense and everything goes together. I mean, it's so logically and beautifully put together. And I have to ask you this, though. How did you end up on the Ellen DeGeneres show? <laughs> that, I mean, like, that's a big, like, that's a big deal. How did that, that happen? Yeah, that's a big deal. I'm still waiting for someone to pinch me. I mean, no, it's been for like four years now since I've been on the Ellen show. And every year is because the story was just so unpredictable yeah. that the Ellen show keeps repeating it every year. So every year I'm reminded again, oh, yeah, that, that did happen. OK. <laughs> <laughs> How did it happen? I mean, and, and this is why I just love our state so much or I love connections so much like uh, it's, you know, you never know who you meet uh, here in Maine, where they would end up in the world. Um, so to me, I was just having coffee uh, with my teacher, or former teacher, and we were both at a coffee shop, but I came late. I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm coming late. I, I went and dropped a calendar to to Ellen. She said, who's Ellen? I said, Ellen, like Ellen's generous. And she was just like, oh. You dropped the calendars. <laughs> I, I said, yes, I did. I don't know if it's going to make it to her or not, but it's there. And she said, actually, I know someone that works there. <gasps> and there she goes. She pulls her phone and she texted this person that she knows who at the time was the co-producer of The Ellen Show and said, hey, be on the lookout for this. And... You know, he, he did. He was looking for something, a package from Maine. And they really loved the story. And no one told me I was going to meet Ellen, first of all. Um, and, and my principal will tell you this. At the time when I was teaching at Casco Bay, um, they kept trying to find me. Like the Ellen show, found the package. And they were like, oh, we're looking for your teacher, Ms. Ahmed. But I thought it was a prank. I thought that... <gasps> <laughs> I thought someone was pranking me. One of my friends was pranking me. Was, I was like, it can't be. Like, who is this? And then after maybe they called me for a couple of days, they were like, no, we're serious. This is the Ellen DeGeneres show. We're looking for this teacher. And I got on the phone and talked to the co-producer. And they're like, oh, we, it was February at the time. We heard you guys have snow coming. Would you like to escape the snow and come to Los Angeles? And I was just like, this whole time, I was like, who is this? Who am I? Somebody come wake me up from this dream. <laughs> um, but they flew me out to Los Angeles, California. They had a beautiful hotel room for me. And here, all I thought, we were just going to be an audience member to see Ellen. And I just felt that the second um, I saw her, I just knew that, like, we're meeting. And... <laughs> Actually, if you see the video, you can see that I was so shook, like, and my knees locked. So Ellen had to come grab me from my seat where I was sitting because I couldn't walk and then, like, kind of helped me. And, and then we had an amazing 10-minute interview. Um, but, yeah, really just shared my story, talked about my students. 
I cried a little bit at the beginning because I was like, oh my God, who is this? What is happening? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, uh, class, really? Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. And so that's like already happened. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is just sort of the beginning. It, I mean, it, it's more than the beginning, but I mean, already you've accomplished that. You know what I love? I love that you just said, you know what? I'm going to mail that calendar to her. Yeah. Yeah. Because you never know. And had you not done that, right? Yeah. Look at yeah. what happened from that. And then the way sort of serendipity worked that you happened to be meeting with somebody that happened to know the co-producer of the show. I mean, oh my goodness, right? Yeah. And the co-producer, uh, I should say, is someone who grew up in Felmeth, Maine. And because of the connection, we're both Mainers. I feel like that even helped him to open up um, the, the package that I sent. Yeah. Because I don't think a lot of Mainers send things to Ellen. I don't know. Maybe no. they do. But... Yeah, so that was really nice. It was an amazing. Ellen was more than generous and really helped me, paid my uh, debt, my student debt for me for going to school at USM. Wow. So, yeah, it's just an amazing. It's been amazing ever since, and really grateful. Yeah, I mean, and you think of so for all of you out there listening, you know those things that you have that are dreams that you, or things that you would like to do but you don't do because you think maybe nothing will happen. This is such a great example of taking that risk and mm -hmm. just, you know, what the heck? What's the worst thing that happened? She wouldn't have seen the calendar, right? But the best <laughs> thing happened and you had a 10-minute interview with her. I mean, come oh, on. Yeah. That's a nice chunk of time on that show, right? That's not just like a high wave from the audience. And yeah, beautiful, beautiful story. And got my student student debt paid off. I mean, that was that's huge. And yeah, that was on my shoulders. Yeah. And because of that, once once I graduated and I didn't have that debt, I've been able to really contribute to my family. I was able to buy my first home at twenty eight. Like, just did so many things that are helping my family find find themselves yeah. here in the U.S. Yeah. And that is really amazing. Yeah, that story gives me chills. And and I know, you know, we did talk about this a little bit, but I, I think it's important to really kind of drive this point home, if you will. Why is it so important for immigrants and asylum seekers to be able to tell their stories within their new communities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really, really important because... There's a lot of stereotypical negative information that has been generated from maybe the media, maybe from you know people that with not good intention about refugees and about asylum seekers. So to me, it's really important for them to tell their stories. Uh, I always say no one wants to live in a war-torn country. No one wants to live where there's bombs every morning, right? Even mm -hmm. for us here in the U.S., we're so grateful and we're safe. But if you lived in a neighborhood where there was gun shooting every day, you would also want to leave that neighborhood. And this is the story of many refugees and asylum seekers. They're oh, not yeah. leaving their home by choice. They're leaving it by force because they're looking for a better, safe place to live. Um, and for them to tell their story and to say, this is why I left my home. And I'm here not to destroy anything, 
but really grateful to have found a safe place that I can contribute to. And you see them like, re- like even my mom as a former refugee, I can never have her to stay at home now. She's always constantly working. And, you know, that is to just show that how committed she is to the work she's doing here in Maine, to improving. She works at home healthcare, helping um, clients who have mental disability. She's very passionate about that work. And we have to beg her to take a vacation or a day off because she's just so passionate about. But if you just, again, sit down and listen to someone who has escaped refuge, they're trying to find healing, and they're just a human being who are looking for opportunities like all of us are. And like all of the people that came here before you, that some are the naysayers, Mm -hmm. which just kills me because like, really, if if you go back, their families at one point came here, you know, as refugees, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, unless you look at the Native Americans who were truly here first, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love that. And, And I also like the fact that, you know, you talk about the fact that it's healing for the people to be able to tell their stories. There's a healing in that, isn't there? Yeah, certainly. You know, if you keep it yeah. in the stories that the the experiences that people have faced in a, being, you know, a genocide survivor or living a domestic abuse household or so many from my job now at CTA, I've just learned so much and you can just tell and you can see it in their eye when someone shares their story, that amount of relief you see because they don't want to keep that trauma in and they don't want to pass that trauma into their children or onto their spouse or onto anybody else. So to me, that has been really uh, the work that I value a lot because I want to see people, healed people, happy people, you know, energetic people. And you can't be doing that if there's this uh, package that you're holding in or the secret or this trauma that lives within inside you. You can't live freely. So I'm going to continue doing, providing this opportunity for people. Even, you know, community members who live here today, they're all suffering from so much. Yeah. It's so, it's such important work that you're doing. And so... I imagine that in your work, you've seen this change the narrative in probably specific cases as well as in general. Maybe somebody's eyes opened up uh, that otherwise maybe would have had a very different opinion. Can you share a story or two with us about that? Yeah, certainly. I think that I was thinking about a student that I had, but then we also gave him, he was a recipient of one of our scholarships from CTA. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a $1,000 scholarship, but uh, he came on the stage and he just cried. He said, this might be a $1,000 scholarship for some people, but for me, this is where, this is where my story begins and this is where I am able to help my mom. And for me, it's just like, the whole room was silent. And he said, I'm the eldest in my family. He's, you know, he was really young. He's 18 years old. So his life is just about to start. And he has so many things to do in his life. But for him, he never even thought it was possible for him to get a a $1,000 scholarship. And he said, I have 
younger sisters and brothers that look up to me and now I can hold my head up high and I am so proud that I am doing this for my family and doing this for my mom who has been a single mom for so long. Um, this is a very short story, but to me, it just really shows that it goes a long way. Helping someone goes a long way because it's not helping just them. It's helping their family and the community around them. Um, and I, yeah, it's just even my own brothers, I see that in them too, like being able to go to college here, to succeed, to start businesses here. That was once just a dream for them and they never thought it was possible. Um, and I think for them, it, the potential is just endless at this point. And you know what, that is a very powerful story because it embodies everything that you mentioned that CTA or Chance to Advance is really about. Mm -hmm. And it's very intentional um, that you offer scholarships to Maine schools. I want to touch upon that because it's it's really important. What is the reason that the scholarships are for schools here in Maine? Yeah, I mean, that is a very important question. And like I was saying earlier, um, I was so lucky and fortunate to have been even to attend school, right? Like back home, a lot of girls, you know, finishing high school was maybe the highest grade of education they receive. And then you get married and you have your duties as a wife and as a mom. Um, so for me, even attending college was like, oh my God, is this going to be possible? And I finished my undergraduate and right away, it was not even a question that I wanted to go to graduate school. Um, and being able to do that, it's, it's literally a dream that came true. And because of that, there has been so many doors that has opened because I have this degree now, uh, I have this education now, I'm able to apply for so many different jobs, right? I'm able to converse in English, I'm able to start a nonprofit, I'm able to follow my dream as a real estate agent. I am able to do all of that because I've gotten an education that has is helping me pursue my dream. And I did it here in Maine where a lot of people think it's not possible. A lot of my classmates, when I graduated in 2010, they all left Maine. They were, went to New York, they went to Boston, they went to California, which is awesome, which is, mm -hmm. I'm happy for them. But we also need to start telling our youth that you can do it here in Maine. Maine is your state. Anything that you want to accomplish is possible. Um, and as we all know, Maine is an Asian state. So we really do need to keep our young youth here, mm -hmm. going to school here, working here, helping the fabric of Maine uh, improve as much as possible. So to me, when I thought about this issue of young people leaving Maine, this was my small part solution, is that how about if you provided scholarship, do you think they'll be more likely to stay? And the answer is yes. Because if there's money here and they know I can attend USM and um, I'm able to have a little bit of financial help, I'll stay here. Maybe they'll find a job at USM after they graduate. You know, there's so many... Or maybe they'll start their own business. <laughs> maybe, we need the young people will. here. And I just thought that was brilliant that uh, you, when we talked about that, you know, the mm -hmm. reason behind that. And that was very intentional 
that was a very intentional reason behind that. And Mm -hmm. it's really important for the state. So thank you. It's important. Definitely. And I really hope to grow that in the future because the more uh, scholarship we're able to give, the more students who are likely to stay here. And like you said, open businesses, open, you know, organizations, things that we Mainers really need. And I see that change. I see more and more people staying in Maine or coming back to Maine, which is even more better. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And speaking of the future, and I know, I know you have an answer to this. What, what, <laughs> and it's probably just the tip of the iceberg. But what are your visions for CTA? I mean, yeah, I am just so grateful that we have been able to make it this far. Just becoming, you know, just an idea a couple of years ago to now being a nonprofit. Um, my hope is that, you know, we continue to grow and to build. Um, I want the calendar project to have uh, more elements and more initiatives. So starting this month, actually, we're doing a monthly webinar so that we talk more about storytelling and more about healing and more about ending generational trauma and ending bad cycles that are holding us hostage. So um, that is one thing that we're currently are about to start doing in CTA. I want to grow my board. So I am always looking for new board members so that, um, you know, help me with this vision. How can we elevate this vision to become something even bigger? I have this vision for CTA to also have lots of funding so that we're able to give more money to scholarship for students. We're being able to build more programming. I really want to do a lot of residencies in main schools using the calendar project as a tool to help me and to help our students find their own voice, find their own story. That's what I see for CTA, that we're doing monthly residencies uh, throughout main schools. Well, I, you know, I know that's going to happen. And then I can't wait to ask you next year what your next vision is, because you'll probably, that's all going to be like, <laughs> beep. And Eklis, what is the one thing that you wish everybody understood or knew about asylum seekers and immigrants and refugees? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many that people should know, but I think I've already said Refugees and asylum seekers are people. (laughs) They are human beings, and they are people actually full of resiliency, people who are taking risk in their life and taking big risk, moving from a whole different continent to another, not being able to speak a language, but learning ABCs, and being able to find their voice in their new language. So to me, I want people to know about refugees um, and asylum seekers that are are people who are so brave. And I really admire their bravery. I admire my dad's bravery for, you know, jumping in and taking this huge risk, moving us from an unsafe place to coming to the U.S. because now we're all not just surviving, we are really thriving in our lives. I see my brothers happy and I see them uh, pursuing their careers and pursuing their businesses. And that brings a lot of joy to my father. And I see that with so many people who 
even Abdullahi, right? I, I work at Gateway, and Gateway Community Services is a place that was started by a Somali uh, refugee himself, and now it is a community that gathers people. Um, so, you know, again, like refugees and immigrants and asylum seekers are just people with so much bravery, and I commend that, and I have so much respect because I don't know if I can do that today, you know. I don't know if I could just pick up my life again and start all over. I know that I, I could do it because I have done it before, but it is so uncertain and it's very scary. Yeah. And would bring most people to their knees, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Eklas, what are you the most proud of in your journey or in your story up to this point? Because I know there's going to be more down the road, but up till today. <laughs> I am really proud of many things. I'm really proud that I continue to fight. I'm really proud that I can say without hesitation that I am Sudanese American. I respect both of my cultures very much. I try to go home as often as possible uh, to connect to my roots, to my family, to my culture. And I am very also very hardworking here in my American culture, fighting for us to improve in any uh, aspect of our lives. If it's education, if it's healthcare, if it's social and emotional work, it, all the aspects that we need here as Mainers, I've been able to fight for that. So to me, I'm really most proud that I am living myself through my own lenses, uh, trusting myself and trusting my story and my gut to um, to keep this journey going um, and in, in hopes of helping other Sudanese American find their own story and they don't have to feel that they have to assimilate, which was one of the first things I learned in America that people wanted you to assimilate. And <laughs> I didn't want to assimilate. I wanted to be my own person that had my own flavor. So I'm really proud of that. As much as it's been really tough to live in Maine, and to live as a Sudanese Muslim American, I think that I have finally came to a point in my life where I am owning that and I am not shying away uh, any aspect of, of myself. And you're doing it well. You're doing it well. And that is <laughs> a lot to be proud of. And particularly at such a young age, uh, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> All right. So now I have to ask you the two questions I ask every daughter of change. Okay, so the first one is, what wise words do you have for other daughters of change? I think uh, words of advice that I have, I was just literally saying this when answering the previous question, but to trust yourself, you know, to trust yourself. You are capable of great change and you have uh, power to move mountains. And, you know, don't let anyone take away your vision or say your dreams are too big or they're not valid or, yeah, your dreams are never too big. So dream as big as possible and and trust the process. I I say that a lot. The process is really difficult, but trust the process. It's going to work as long as you continue to show up for yourself. Send that calendar to Ellen DeGeneres, right? <laughs> Send two copies, maybe one to Oprah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Send them out. Send those out. And so one of the things that I 
intentionally leave for the last question because people are always asking me, how can they help Daughters of Change? And I say, well, the way you help Daughters of Change is by helping the Daughters of Change that, you know, you learn about on this platform. Mm -hmm. So how can the people listening at class support your efforts Just like give us the laundry list. And by the way, I just want to preface this by saying I will make sure that there are links in the show notes to Eclipse's website and the the monthly webinar and all that. But now I'm just going to be quiet and let it rip. How do we help? (laughs) Thank you. I think that is a very important question because all and any of this work that we're doing cannot be done alone. Like as much as I say it's our vision, it's a mission that we have, we can't do it without help. Um, and for me, for Chance to Advance, the biggest help I continue to need every year is that for people to read our stories, to purchase a calendar for a friend, for a family member, for a school district, for an organization. So please, if you haven't already, then it's not too late for 2023. We still have so many calendars to give out. So buy a calendar, um, make a donation if you don't want a calendar. Uh, donations help in so many different ways to continue printing the calendars every year to compensate our families. That's something I'm really passionate about. So even those who share their story, we make sure that they're compensated. So your do- th- those donations help in so many different ways. I need people on my board. You know, CTA is small and I want it to grow as big as possible. Um, and I need people to come and serve <laughs> as volunteers on our board. It's really, really um, something that I think I, I need for this year and continuously in the future. Um, I need volunteers. I always need volunteers, college volunteer, any volunteer to help us with grant writing, um, to help us with just how do we amplify the voices of, of our community members here in Maine. Um, that is something we need. I need people to donate space. Like, you know, the, usually when the calendars are printed, we have a release party, a big community party. And space here in Maine is very expensive. So if you are <laughs> a landlord of a building or <laughs> anything like that, donate this space to us because um, it brings people together. It really, really does. And that is really a huge part of CTA is a community aspect of coming together. Um, Yeah, I think those are my needs. I mean, I always want people to reach out and ask questions. So never hesitate to give me a call, a text, an email. (laughs) I have four, five active emails, whatever (laughs) issues. I will be, you know, gladly to answer and to, you know, not to be afraid to say hello. And that's why CTA was started is for us to make this connection with each other. So there's so many ways that people can support this. So many different ways. You know, if you don't have an ability to write a check, you know, there are ways that you can help. If you do have an ability to write a check, well, write that check. But I mean, (laughs) cash is queen, honey. Cash is queen. (laughs) But there are so many ways. And you may be listening and have an idea Mm -hmm. that maybe Eccles didn't mention and you'd Mm -hmm. like to get involved and collaborate. So um, Eccles, the best way is for people to reach out through the website. There's a contact there. Would that be the best way? Yep. Um, ShansuAdvanceME.org is uh, Shansu Advance uh, email. So anytime. Yeah. 
And all of that, that link, if you're listening, you just look down into those show notes and that link is there. All you have to do is click on it. Well, (laughs) Eklas, this has been just wonderful. I've just so enjoyed meeting you and getting to know you. And I'm so glad that you uh, were willing to come on and tell us your story and talk about your journey because your work is immensely important. Um, And before we sign off, uh, any last thoughts or anything else that you'd like to tell the listeners? Um, No, I'm really grateful. Yeah, for this opportunity for me to share my story here with you, Marie. Thank you so much. I think like I was saying earlier, there's so much work that needs to be done here in Maine and throughout the globe. Um, And I think we can do it by working together for sure. So I'm just grateful for meeting you and grateful for your listeners who are listening to you. Um, I think that is itself is we're making progress by doing those efforts like that. So thank you. 